Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Jessica, what's it like being the editor of a hunting and fishing, and I guess we could say trapping magazine? What's it like like uh, living that lifestyle, getting articles submitted, tracking down uh, advertisers, all that stuff? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, I think when you're working in an industry where it lines up with your passion, so I love hunting. Um Every day I like, I love reading the articles. Um, and then you have some different strengths in ev- every writer. So for instance, um, can't you write for us? And you're really good with like um, native warm season grasses. And just, I've, I'm always picking up tips and everything. And it's been my favorite magazine for a long time, but I absolutely love uh, getting to read the articles and getting to edit them and everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be an interesting part of it. Like, honestly, it's pretty similar. I imagine to me hosting this podcast through the years with when you're, when you're talking with people who, you know, are, are passionate about what they're writing about or, or very knowledgeable about what they're writing about. And then it's your job to like, well, for me as a podcaster, it's to listen to them, but for yours is to read them. I imagine you, <laughs> your knowledge about a lot of these topics before you were editing the magazine compared to now, you've probably gained like, you've basically had like a college education <laughs> on, on a whole bunch of different topics. Would you, would you say that? I'll take that. I'll take an honorary um, <laughs> degree on that. Yeah. That's uh, right. for, in- for instance, I like um, fishing just leisurely when I have time. Um, mainly I do a lot of farm fishing, but we have some writers like Ben Leal and, and, uh, Todd Reed and, and, mm. um, Steve Wiseman. They're just, they live and breathe fishing and I don't, that's not my lifestyle. Um, yeah. and, and it's, that's something I can't write eloquently on it. And they are always pulling out tips and tricks and watching the water temperature and uh, I think Todd Reed and, and Steve, they're actually pro staff for, um, I don't know, some companies or something. So they're, they are very well respected. But when they're not working, that's what those guys want to do. And, and it's pretty awesome to see their passion flow through the paper. And honestly, um, most of the writers like yourself, um, what it kind of the best articles are when you want to share like, Hey, I found this out. I want to share it with you. And Mm. it's the best articles that can be written. Mm. Yeah. The, the stuff that's, it's not just the conventional wisdom. It's the practical wisdom, the, the stuff, not just what you would expect to read on, you know, a hundred different articles on the topic. Um, you know, now that you say that, that, that was, I intentionally did that with an article that I wrote recently. Um, on shed hunting, like when I first got into, when I first got into shed hunting like 10 years ago, um, I remember at that time, 
there were definitely online articles on every topic, but on like kind of niche things like shed hunting, there was like maybe 10 or less articles and that was it on the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was still exciting when you would, when you would pick up a magazine and see a, you know, a, a, uh, uh, an article because it's like, wow, here's a topic that no one else talks about. And it's here in this magazine, you know, or, or it'd be like on, um, uh, in a newspaper article, even I, I one time my father-in-law sent me a newspaper article on shed hunting out in new England where he lives. And it was, it was like, that was how limited the information was on shed hunting. That was in you know, either online or even in print. And so any little like scrap of it that you could find was you wanted to read. But what I noticed was even with only those very limited resources out there, um, you could like, remember back, I think you're around my age, back when we were in school and they'd use the overhead projectors and they'd use like the little transparencies Oh and, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they put those up on the screen. Like if you had transparencies of those articles and like overlaid them on each other, it would be the same exact like five tips. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, check fence crossings, check creek crossings, uh, you know, use a trail camera. And like, yes, those are helpful tips, but it's like what are those little practical like nuanced tricks that, you know, other people other people have practically found just by being out shed hunting a whole bunch. And so, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to find four guys that I know are really good at shed hunting. And I'm going to try and find their unique tips because it, like you said, it does translate over so well to the reader. Like, okay, here's a new thing that I can adopt and will give me a better chance at achieving what I want to achieve. Yeah, and I think one of the impressive things about you is um, shed hunting. That's one of your favorite things to do, right? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, what I've learned from you is I, this shed hunting, it's kind of when I have time and I'm I'm fair weather. So sure, yep. <laughs> I like getting out and trying to find those early ones, but um, I really enjoy it when the, the weather's nice. I'm not going to lie. Um, but you are all about it, and um, I think you're somewhat addicted Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) To finding sheds. And uh, one thing that I've changed is I used to just kind of visit visit a bedding area, Mm -hmm. check it out. And then I I usually check that off my list and move on. Whereas I think um, I think in our our March issue, Mm -hmm. February, March issue, uh, you talked about how you go back and you kind of hammer those areas again. Yeah. Yep. You got to hit those, hit those areas multiple times. You know, an interesting thing on that, believe it or not, I was shed hunting right before we did this call. <laughs> but, uh, my, my friend Caleb, who I talked about in that article, we do a lot of shed hunting together and we went out Sunday, uh, right before the Super Bowl, And, uh, we took my kids out and, and we, uh, just looked in this one spot that has produced for us so many times. And, uh, we found one shed in there still pretty early and we were only out for like an hour or so. And um, Caleb, went, we were meeting up again today, and we were going to that same farm but a different spot on that farm. 
and Caleb got there like a half hour before I did. And so he went back into where we were on Sunday and found another shed right where we had, you know, there's no way we would have missed it. You know, we looked there a, a ton. So it was a fresh shed that had dropped between Sunday and today that, uh, <laughs> you know, in the exact same spot. So yeah, definitely, definitely recovering ground is, is important, but yeah, I mean, you've done a great job with the magazine. There's been some new stuff that's that's come along that the magazine's been doing. And, and um, you know, Patrick, who was the first editor when I first started writing there, I'm always eternally grateful to him for, for um, you know, like giving me a chance and, and uh, giving me some article assignments. And uh, um, you've been incredibly easy to work with and very on the on the spot with it. I've been a little tardy with some of my submissions here lately. It was a busy <laughs> fall, way busier than I thought it was going to be. But, um, no, it's a, it, the Iowa sports magazine. If you're listening and you don't subscribe, um, even if you don't live in Iowa, if you just like coming to Iowa to hunt or fish, probably to hunt though, let's be honest, you're probably here for the, for our big white tails. But, um, uh, it's a great publication and there's other state based magazines out there. Um, I won't name it specifically, but I am sure Jessica can think of the one I'm talking about that will, uh, print magazines for each state. Um, and, and it'll be like, Oh, this is the, you know, the outdoor magazine for Iowa. And then you start reading it and you realize, wow, like there's one article in here that's about Iowa and the rest have nothing to do with Iowa. Oh, wow. This magazine is mass produced out of like New York or something. And, uh, but they call it Iowa outdoors magazine or something. And, uh, it's really not that, but for the Iowa sportsman magazine, uh, the, the tagline is for Iowans by Iowans. And, um, I think that's what really sets it apart is, and, and goes back to like that practical application that Jessica was talking about with, you can take this information and bring it right back to where um, it is that you're going to be hunting or fishing and apply those exact techniques and know that, yeah, there's, there's proof of concept here in Iowa that this works. And so, um, you know, I think that's what makes it a, an incredibly valuable resource. But um, uh, there's there's other things coming, though, right? In this latest episode, or latest episode, latest uh, issue of the magazine, I saw that there's the Iowa Sportsman's podcast is coming back, right? Um, yeah, we're gonna try to make a go at that again. Um, we did one a couple years ago, and um, you you had some as well um, in there where you would kind of go over your articles and such. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, we're kicking it off again. Um, so the McKinney's own the um, Twin Rivers Media. Mm-hmm. They own the the magazine. Um, they're fantastic entrepreneurs. So they have the Iowa Outdoor Sport Store there in uh, Fort Dodge. Yep. And Aaron kind of runs that, and he's um, pretty knowledgeable when it comes to archery and hunting. And he's kind of a fishing fanatic as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's going to kind of take the uh, take the lead on. Um, doing that he's going to start off with like a hunting or a fishing report um because again it's for iowans by iowans um and usually this time of year um ice is kind of starting to break up and Mm -hmm. and folks want to know what's what's going on where so that you're not wasting your time 
Um, sure. I know like some of the rivers are opening up and, and some folks are getting on some walleye. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to launch a kind of a fishing hunting report. And that's, that's one thing um, when it comes to deer hunting around the rut, I'm always asking guys what they're seeing and, and yeah. stuff because I want to know how the movement is and you don't want to stink up your stand. You want to put your time in there and make your time count. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That, me too. I, I think that'll be a lot of fun to tune into. And I really enjoyed the podcast when it was going before. It was nice to get that like deeper dive on the articles and, and meet the people behind them. Um, there were a couple, that's where I first uh, really started to kind of like learn a little bit more about Steve Wiseman. You, you mentioned him earlier. He's a great long time uh, writer for the Iowa sportsman. And uh, I remember him being on there a few times like, man, that guy's just cool. He knows his stuff. He, um, you could tell, like you said, he, <laughs> he lives and breathes fishing and uh, just hearing him talk about that. And I'm kind of like you where hunting is really my main interest. I like to fish a couple times a year, but there's only so many things you can do. And uh, so fishing is def- definitely like, you know, I'm, I like to make it up to the driftless area once a summer and, and do some casting for trout. Um, and then I might hit a few farm ponds in the summer, but hearing Steve, like in those interviews, it's like, man, I could, I can see how, cause I think he's up by Okaboji or something, isn't he? Where, yeah, I uh, think he's, I think he's up North. Yeah. He talked cause that's what he talked about a lot was like fishing on that, those big lakes up there. And, um, is like, man, I can see how people get into that. And I, and I think he did some waterfowl episodes as well, but, but yeah, so great resource out there for, um, people here in Iowa that love the outdoors. And, um, another thing that I think is cool is that the editor is a female. I think that that's, that's a cool thing with, with our magazine because it, it provides, you know, that that voice that resonates with a lot of sports women out there. Um, do you feel like you kind of like carry that torch a little bit for, for the, the women who hunt and fish in our state? Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I, when I started, um, hunting, Oh, 20, 25 years ago, it wasn't really, cool yeah <laughs> for, right. for girls and stuff and even on that side um i am kind of careful with um you know generally speaking um women we kind of have a softer heart and everything um so sometimes it's not always received well um when you talk about like going out and like harvesting some deer processing your food that sort of thing mm. um maybe a little bit different approach and and I know when talking with other uh, girls that are getting into hunting, um, you know, maybe something that kind of bothers them is is uh, shooting, you know, does with a young a younger mm, one. Yeah, yep. Um, which you kind of got to remember that at that point, that younger doe is absolutely capable of of living on its own, and yep. and hunting is conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the natural, you know, that the natural life cycle of a deer isn't always the, uh, 
the prettiest thing. Nature isn't always easy. Um, we know there's death by like coyotes freezing to death. So just kind of from a female perspective, um, I've noticed a lot of women, it's, it's harder when it comes to harvesting does. Um, but honestly, we we're hunters and we're ethical. Um, we're doing the best thing for that animal. And, and that's kind of one of the gaps I've been trying to bridge with some, some ladies that I've been toured with bow hunting and such. Um, and I think we're making some good progress. I like seeing more ladies get involved in hunting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Most of the time when you, when I go out with like buddies, it's usually, you know, men and everything. Cause there's mm-hmm. not, um, I wouldn't say I, I know a whole bunch of, of ladies that are just diehard hunters. Um, but it, it's exciting when I make new friends that hunt. Yeah. How, so are, are there still ways that like that the hunting community makes, and I, and I think we've gotten a lot better at this. Um, so it's not just, uh, it's not just a, an issue where the hunting community can kind of almost feel exclusive to, to men. Um, mm-hmm. there's even like my, you know, minority groups out there that, you don't really see them represented much within, within the hunting community. And part of that could just be, you know, like it's, it could truly be a cultural difference where it's like not, not interesting. But I interviewed, um, Eric Morris from non, non-typical outdoorsman who, which is a TV show on, um, I think it's on the sportsman's channel. And Eric and I, uh, went through and we just talked about, he's a black guy. He's from, I think he lives in Atlanta, and uh, that's like his mission. He's trying to trying to get basically all groups that are underrepresented in the hunt, hunting community feeling comfortable with participating in hunting. He's he's um, like he's been recognized as one of the top hunter education instructor instructors in the country, and uh, so he he's done a lot of work through just teaching hunter ed classes and stuff, and. And, uh, he tries to help include people that, um, maybe feel like, yeah, that, that doesn't really seem like a place where I'd fit in. And he tries to target that and which is, I think so important because some of the things that you mentioned about with the, the conservation tie to hunting, um, I definitely don't think that all hunters, are nece- like I wouldn't necessarily consider them to be a conservationist. Like I think there's plenty of people out there that are just have a purely consumptive mindset. And I'm not saying that they should be conservationists necessarily, but there are other like in my opinion, and I work you know in the conservation space. You know I I do prairie reconstruction for a yep. career, and uh, I have found that in most cases, the best conservationists are hunters. And um, so with Eric reaching these underrepresented minority groups uh, and helping that bring them into the hunting space, then we're more likely creating more conservationists in our communities. And the same thing, I think, when the hunting community reaches women and says, hey, this isn't just boys' club. You know, uh, this is something that that women are more than welcome to to join in and participate, and hopefully we can support you through that and make you feel welcome. 
and I think a big part of it is designing gear that is fits women, whether it's bows and and guns or even just, even just like hunting clothing, you know, and, and footwear like that, that I think is so important because then we help bring in, I think more likely more women conservationists as well. And, um, you know what, I think that that's a big win for everyone when you really think about it in the long run. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. And that's probably one of my favorite things about, um, outdoor activities is you're usually, if you want to do it, you absolutely can. Um, Mm -hmm. and we have some excellent examples in this state, um, like, um, the armless archer and, Mm. um, if you go to a bow shoot, uh, have you ever been to a 3d shoot? I've never gone to one. I, I need to, I keep getting invited to them. And honestly, I'm, I don't know why I have it, but I, it's never, it's never worked out, but I need to go. Well, it's a busy time of year. Usually it's in the summer, but I just love seeing, um, usually there's older folks that Mm. have amended their bows or even, even some folks that are maybe missing some limbs or um you know different physically and they'll show up and they've customized their bow so that they can shoot (laughs) it's just awesome awesome. it's awesome it's encouraging yeah that's that's i'm glad you brought that up because it is important that we reach those too from that that have some kind of physical limitation and say hey you know we can we can adapt things for you too and, and make it so that you can you can participate and honestly i i really feel like one of the th- one of the my my listeners are getting ready to roll their eyes cuz i talk about it so much but uh one of the things that i've been kind of hung up on lately is this when when people use the word hobby and associate it with hunting i think when I think there's some people that, yes, that's probably true. Um, uh, like, yeah, hunting is their hobby. They go out one time a year, maybe one weekend a year or something. And then the rest of the time they aren't, they aren't thinking about it. They aren't, you know, worried about it. They aren't, you know, whereas people like yourself and myself, that's like what we think about every single day and a good portion of every single day. And, and so I think that hunting for people who really get into it becomes a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. And, um, I think that that the reason that it becomes that way for folks like ourselves is because in us, in all of us, there's this Donnie Vincent video, um, called who we are. And, in that video, Donnie Vincent says this incredible phrase. He's like, if you're watching this video, you're here today because somebody amongst your ancestors was a great hunter. And, Absolutely. And, that, and so I think when when we become so connected to it, it's because we're tapping back into that, you know, that, that thing that's in our DNA that makes us, you know, want, want you know, excited and occupied with the pursuit of, of hunting. And so the fact that we can make that attainable for, you know, maybe, maybe a, a veteran, a combat veteran who's, um, lost 
some limbs or maybe somebody who who was just born with with uh you know uh, you know without an arm or something like that you know and if we can modify hunting and uh, uh make it make it something that's attainable to them i think that is so good because it allows them to tap back into that thing that's in their dna as well and uh that's a great point that you bring that up so well uh, you've mentioned it you've you've been interested in hunting for a long time did you just start when you were a kid you grew up in a family of hunters um my my dad hunted and i had two sisters um and uh which wasn't ideal for him i don't think (laughs) (laughs) honestly um but no i started he took me up you know squirrel hunting and stuff and i really wanted to go deer hunting and um the first time I went deer hunting, I was hooked. I mean, I loved it. It was shotgun season. Um, I was so excited. I I thought it was the best thing ever. And I guess from, I think I was around seven or eight at that time. And then from that time on, I've never missed um, a hunting season. It's just, I just wanted to do more and more and more and more. Yeah, that is so cool. So, so that was your dad that took you out. You you finally convinced him to bring you along. Well, actually, uh, if I'm truthful, um, I got into trouble. I kind of threw a fit, and my mom sent me hunting with my dad for shotgun season. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it worked out well for me. Yeah, that's great. What a great punishment! It <laughs> you, was. Have, you have to go hunting. Oh no! Please don't. Backfired don't, on you, mom. Yeah, don't make me stay the whole weekend, mom. <laughs> that's yep. that's uh, that's awesome. So, did you um, did you get to do any of the shooting that year, or were you just observing? I was just tagging along. I just tagged along for a couple years. I loved. I was either sitting with my dad or with one of my uncles, and I just loved being included. And I think that's something that dads don't get mm. enough credit for. Um, because when you're a dad, like you're focused on your kid, you want your kid to have the best experience. You're all about them. Um, and I would imagine you have those, right? Yep. I got my fourth one on the way here. It's going to get a little crowded in the tree stand. Part of your hunt. (laughs) (laughs) When you take that kid along, am I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a huge part. And you bring up, you bring up a really good point. Like, so Again, to talk about that article I wrote recently, the last guy I featured in there, his name is Chris Dyer. And um, he is just an incredible whitetail hunter. And he's such, and he's an incredible shed hunter too. And he he's uh, he's already at 30 sheds on the year, by the way. And oh we're, we're, we're recording this on February 15th. And uh, Chris Dyer has picked up 30 sheds already. Uh, this year. Anyways, uh, (laughs) um, you know, looking at Chris, he's a single guy who, who, um, uh, I mean, he's got a full-time job and everything, but like when he is off work, he is fully dedicated to hunting or shed hunting. Right. And so it's important that I, I look to Chris as like a guy that I get advice from, because who's better to get advice from than, than a guy like that. Right. And, and it's important that I do that, but I also have to like keep things in perspective too. Like, you know, I have, I have these kids, I can't be spending all my time shed hunting, you know, and when I do go shed hunting, I'm probably going to have them tagging along. Uh, when it's hunting season, you know, 
I usually do that more on my own, but I definitely take my kids along a few times during, during deer season as well. But like, it's important to keep that. I think as dads, like we have to keep that in perspective, like guys like Chris, yeah, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to do some things that we can't and that's okay. And they should, you know? Um, so if we get frustrated, like, Oh, I got to ditch these kids to go (laughs) find some more sheds or go, go, uh, do some more hunting. I think we miss the boat a little bit. Like we need to, or miss the mark a little bit. We need to say, Nope, this is part of my, like, it's my privilege to have these kids along with me and, it's part of my job to show them how to enjoy these things so that, you know, just like what worked for you, um, it, they'll, they'll want to get into it when they're an adult and, and keep passing on our traditions. So I think, uh, I think you make a really, really good point there. Yeah. I think, um, any, any parent or even a non-parent, anyone that's sacrificing some of their time to include someone in the outdoor activities that's a a pretty neat thing and it's contributing to um honest like you said earlier lifelong um lifelong uh (laughs) like a pursuit right pursuit yes yes to better someone's life that's awesome yeah yeah definitely now here's something i'm kind of curious about and based on what you've said already I, i think i probably know the answer was your dad so i think there's like two ways that dads include their kids they there's the the uh hey you you know you bet you know i'm gonna i'll help you out if you need it but you better kind of like take care of yourself you know along the way i don't want any whining i don't want any of this you know i'm cold or whatever i'm stuck in the mud you know or there's the other extreme where it's like, Ooh, are you okay? Can we stay another, you know, like stay another 10 minutes and, and, uh, here, let me, you know, make this all about you. Uh, which one of those was your dad more like? Uh, my dad, he didn't, uh, he's, he'd tell you to buck up and (laughs) that's good. Um, And I think that's why you stuck with it. You know, I think, I think that's 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 what I was predicting. I, w- I was predicting yeah. that he was probably like, nope, if you're going to come along, you're going to... And I try to do that with my kids too because it, I think that it gives them like something to aim for then. You know what I mean? Like when they, when they see their dad as like, wow, dad knows how to do this and dad is willing to endure boredom and cold and and being hungry and being thirsty and and having a numb butt and having you know numb feet and and a cold nose and all those things that you are like hyper focused on as a kid right like when you have all those little discomforts of sitting in a tree stand for hours you're just like that's all you can think about but when you see somebody else not even whining about it at all you know it's like you know what that's something i want to i want to kind of like develop into you know i remember watching my dad like that as a kid my dad was like the toughest person on the planet to me as a kid and that made me want to be tough you know it made me not want to be like whiny but then if it's all like like the kid that we see in walmart that's uh, screaming their head off when they don't get the bag of skittles or something you know, that kid's not going to stick with, with hunting, you know what I mean? Where it's all just about them. And the second they're, they get cold, you know, all right, let's leave, you know, 
but it's a fine line too. You don't want to make them, you don't want to make them suffer and hate it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. but I think, I think it sounds like your dad did it the right way though. Did you get away yeah. with more when you sat with like your uncles and stuff? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. That's usually how that goes for sure. No, it was, you know, honestly just amazing. I have some good role models that were, um, like older hunters. So family, friends, my uncles, my dad, and it, that is like the person you want to be and someone you look up to really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. So at what point did you decide, you know what, this, this gun hunting thing is really fun, but I want to hunt more. I want to pick up a bow. I want to learn, I want to learn archery. When did that bug kind of get you? Um, I got a little, um, I don't know if you call them like a junior bow or like a youth bow. Oh yeah. It was a youth yeah, yeah. compound bow when I was in, I think fourth grade and my dad would bring a, a big round bale and my sister and I, we would shoot that bow, um, a ton. And then I was, I borrowed a bow from, I think my aunt. Okay. Um, it was an older bow. Um, not much technology on it, brass sights, that sort of thing. Um, I think I even started shooting aluminum arrows maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they were carbon. I don't remember, but it, it was kind of back in that late nineties era. Um, sure. and then I got my first hunting bow when I was, um, I think around 12 or 13. Wow. Yeah. So I shot that a lot and I loved it. So your dad must've been a, a bow hunter then too, huh? Yeah. He, he bow hunted and, um, then he'd take me out bow hunting and stuff too. Um, mm -hmm. one thing that's great about my dad. So in Iowa, we don't have point restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of my favorite things about this state is if you want to go shoot that spike buck, you can shoot a spike yes. buck. Um, I think your first year you should celebrate. And mm -hmm. my first arch, my first, uh, archery deer that I got was a five pointer. Wow. <laughs> not impressive to a lot of people, but well, though for, was, for a kid, that's awesome. That was a trophy to me. I think I was 16 at the time, my first one, but, um, you know, I'm glad Iowa doesn't have the, the ammo yeah. restrictions. Yeah, um, me too. One of my favorite trophies was that little five pointer. Well, I have it on good authority that, uh, um, uh, those who make those recommendations in our state have no interest in, in instituting a uh, antler point restriction. I can tell you more about that after we're done with the call, but. Oh but, yeah, that's uh, good to know. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's awesome that if you like what you see and you want it, you can take it in Iowa. As long as you have the tag for it, of course, you know, as long as you got a buck tag and take a buck and a doe tag. You know, if you, I have like a, during the antler of the season or something like that, you can take it. And I think that's, that's, that does make it more special, especially for kids. So, so you got going though pretty quick there after you started archery. That's awesome. Um, then, uh, as you like graduate from high school, did you hunt through college and, and after high school a lot, or did you take a break? Oh no, I never took a break. I, um, since I got my first 
archery deer. I've got one every year since, and since I shot wow, my first. Wow, that's impressive. I got my very first doe with a, a shotgun. Well, it was a muzzleloader, a night muzzleloader during the shotgun season, and I've I filled um, a gun tag one way or the other. Um, one season might be a doe, might be bucks, but ever since then. Sure. Yeah. So, so then, uh, you know, what, what hunting dreams, like what's next? Are you happy to just keep doing whitetails forever? Or do you have some like Western, you know, hunt aspirations that you're hoping to, you know, reach at some point? Um, to me, whitetail hunting is the most addictive thing ever. Mm -hmm. Um, I love shooting. I love seeing big bucks. I love trying to shoot a big buck. I don't have any Western hunts. I would love to be able to go up um, on one. I guess I'm saving my pennies for that one day. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. How about you, Kent? Yeah, I, I'm, I kind of agree with you. Like uh, an interesting concept to me is, is uh, when people live somewhere, but they're the thing that like makes them tick is not there. So, so you know how like, you always hear people in Iowa complain about, oh, I can't wait to get down to Florida for spring break or whatever, you know, and like, I just want out of here and I want to, to me, it's like, well, why don't you live there then? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, why, why, why do you cash in 50 weeks of the year for two weeks of enjoyment? You know what I mean? It's like, why don't you, why don't you like, flip it around and go live down where you like to be and then come back for two weeks of the year to visit all the people around here that are probably the reason you're living. You would say you're living here, you know? And I think it's the same way with hunting. It's like if I live in Iowa and if all I can talk about is, Oh, I can't wait for September. I'm going to head West and I'm going to hunt elk and that's good. You know, like, okay, that's fine. You know, sure. But why don't you go live where there's elk then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why would, and, 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 and I hope to do those things. Like, like, uh, I've, I've gone West for a spring bear hunt and I went and hunted mule deer and, you know, the Western edge of Nebraska this last year. And so like, I definitely like doing that, but man, to me, I, I could never give up Iowa whitetails, you know, like it's just, it's it's too good of a thing too addictive of a thing like you said whether it's shed hunting or bow hunting or even i my favorite season honestly for for uh whitetails is early muzzleloader season i don't know have you ever hunted that before jessica i have not um i'm always bow hunting with that in some years it's it's makes me really wish i had a tag a like early muzzleloader yep. tag yeah i i would sh- you should do it you should try it just one year um, because it is like, it's, it's like bow hunting with a gun. I mean, you're the, everything's, I mean, sure. You could like, you know, set up like you do during a gun season or a late muzz season where you're like taking a hundred yard shot somewhere. But I like to do it just like I'm, you know, cause I'm bow hunting all the way up until that week, you know? And then it's like, all of a sudden now I have a blaze orange vest on and I have a muzzle loader instead of a bow. And so I'm, in these, you know, in, you know, I'm in the timber on a trail, maybe even there might even be some scrape activity going on by that point towards the tail end of that 
that week of of that season. Um, but it is it is exciting, and um, you can really, you know, close the distance on a on some of the biggest bucks in your area that way, just because they're not in that mode that that shift that happens after the regular gun season or really even after the rut, because even though yes, bow hunters are a lot less intrusive, generally speaking on the woods, in my opinion, um, like there's so many of us that hit the woods during the rut that the whitetails like, know it. they know it's hunting season by that point. You know what I mean? But like the first three weeks of October, they're still figuring out that it's hunting season and man, you can really, get a drop on a big boy at that point. But, but that's my favorite season to hunt. I love, I love the early muzz season, but, um, yeah, I, I I, I couldn't give it up. Like you said, I couldn't give up, um, our, our white tails to go anywhere else. What's your ideal setup then for early muzzleloader? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the, the, unless you have a really big cold front come in and by uh-huh. big cold front, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, it's gotta be a 15 degree drop. Great. If it is, but like one where it dips down into the freezing temperatures, at least into like the mid thirties, you know, like if it overnights down into like, you know, 36, maybe 37 um, or lower, well, you know that the coldest point is going to be basically at first light, right? You know, that's when that temperature is going to be lowest. It'll be down down around that temperature. If it gets below freezing, even better. And um, then I just go, you know, right on the fringe of a bedding area. So that's where it might be a little bit different from bow hunting. And bow hunting, you might have to get a little bit closer to that bedding area. But um, with the muzzleloader, obviously, you know, a 50 yard shot is a, is, is totally a great shot with a muzzleloader. Whereas with a bow, you probably wouldn't want to do that, especially in the timber. So I'll try and get like close to bedding or transitional area between, uh, you know, food back to bed. And, uh, that, that would be like really the only way I would be interested in hunting a morning. Um, the app, because otherwise if it's, if it does, if you don't get that cool of a temperature they just they're back to bed you know well before shooting light you know what i mean and yeah. and then uh in the evenings pretty much even if it's hot like <laughs> did you go out for the opener this last year october oh, 1st yeah. 90 yeah. 92 degrees i went yeah. out too and and the <sighs> My son Jonas and I, we were out there and we passed on a buck, a little young buck that went right past our stand. You know, so the deer still, even when it's hot, they'll still get up and move, but not until, usually not until the last 15 minutes of of legal light. So it's like a lot of sitting, it seems like it's totally dead. And then when you get inside that 15 minutes, like it's as if the deer like appeared out of the earth. I mean, they'll be everywhere. And, um, I found that you got to be really close to bedding. Otherwise they, they might come to you like out by a food source in the evening, but they're not going to make it there until, until after legal light, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just because it's so, they, they wait till so late. So if you can get close to their bedding, 
like like right on the edge of the food source that they're coming into, uh, you'll get a shot in that last 15 minutes, almost guaranteed. And I also, here's here's a weird one for you. I have found that in the evenings, because during that time of year, most fields still have standing crops. So this last year, people were, a lot was getting harvested by September because of the drought. Uh-huh. But but uh, during that part of October, usually standing crops are everywhere. And I have found that the deer like to move through the beans in the evening and they like to move closer to the corn. I mean, they might still be feeding on beans, but they'll be like real close to that transition line to corn in the mornings. And they'll like to travel along cornfields in the mornings. Um, and the only reason I can, I can think that they do that is because in the evenings they know that it's getting progressively darker. Therefore, they have more cover of darkness Whereas in the morning, they know that it's getting lighter and they're losing their cover as they're going back to bed. And so if you can hunt like along like a travel route along a cornfield in the morning, that's usually pretty good. Or along a bean field in the evening, that's that's pretty good. And that's just that's just like an observation I've, you know, picked up on. And I, I actually use that as I plan my hunts and it works really well. So... Yeah, I would, I would, you should do it and you should write an article on it. I think it'd be cool to get your perspective on it as, as a diehard bow hunter, like just trying out this, but don't sell it too hard because there's only 15,000 tags for the whole <laughs> That's <city>. right. <laughs> that goes fast. That tag uh, yeah, goes fast. Yeah, it does. It does. Once people figure it out, it's like, yeah, I ain't going back. But, and the weather's nice. You know what I mean? Like, it's just nice in October. October's our best month in Iowa, I think. Yeah. So, so uh, if you had to give up bow hunting, though, like, like let's say that all of a sudden it is illegal for Jessica Graham to to archery hunt, what would be your next thing that you would get into? I don't even know. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, man, I love bow hunting. You know, I really like muzzleloader hunting, too. Hmm. Um, so you I must go- do late muzzy then? I do late muzzleloader season, yeah. Um, I like that because it's so cold, and mm-hmm. if you can set up on food, they need that food. Yep. yep. But usually, when it gets that cold, you got to be willing to um, peel dress it too. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So so um, that's interesting. You bring that up because my friend Caleb and I we were shed hunting today. We we're talking about that, and I was. We've, we found this really good stand location while we were shed hunting today that we've known, you know, we've been through that spot a million times, but it's just the way we looked at it today. We're like, holy cow, this might actually be like the best spot on this entire farm. And we're going to get a stand in that tree. And uh, I was like, you know, this would be a really good early muzzleloader spot. Caleb's like, oh, I know, but I want to hunt late muzzleloader because uh, I actually did late muzzleloader this year and I regretted it. Um, really? Yeah, it was. So where I live in, the, in my part of the state, well, really it's in my part of the county. Like the county I'm in, which I can tell you after we're done recording here, um, the the I'm in like the northern half of that county, and there's just very little deer habitat. There's There's a lot of timbered draws, and so the farm that I live on is very good through the summer, and through 
October. And whenever the harvest happens here, you know, think of like, you can almost think of the corn as like another forest, right? And once that comes down, it's just like, you know, this farm that I'm on, which is a, a 240. Once that corn comes down, the deer on this farm go from about 30 to like five. And, um, then once gun season hits in early December, there's nothing. Um, it's just a pheasant hunt. Good. It's great for pheasant hunting, but, but, uh, after October, it's just pretty, it's pretty tough deer hunting here. And so late muzz, I got to like go get permission somewhere else or go hunt public land. You know, if I'm going to have, yeah. have an opportunity getting somewhere where the, you know, you know how the deer shift through the year and yeah. they all pile into the, so if you have access to a spot, that's a good late season spot. That probably is actually a better opportunity than early muzz just because like you said, you know, they they can be like clockwork, you know, they come out, they have, like you said, they have to eat and they're going to, they don't just come out for that last 15 minutes of light either. You know, they come out a couple hours before sunset usually but i just don't have a good spot that fits that that situation you know so early muzz is best for me but caleb he hunted late muzz and he had some close encounters but it never really clicked for him and uh you know so i i'm curious then as somebody who's done it for a long time and has had a lot of success what's what is it about the place or places that you like to go that you think make it really good um i really like evergreens for cover okay and um one of my favorite places is just i don't know if it's probably 60 acres of of heavy evergreens okay heavy cedars um that's awesome. That's awesome for late muzzleloader season because you have your thermal cover and they kind of hold mm-hmm. the snow off of the deer. Yeah. Um, so that's where they like to hang out. Um, if they like it in the early part too, um, because they can get in there and hide. But it's kind of a little bit better for November on. I'd sure. Say. Sure. So, uh, the, so um, the shift, the shift that I was just talking about, kind of happens in your favor on that piece. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And is it what's the food source? Corn, I'm guessing. Uh, usually corn and beans, and then. Oh, they uh, do. They do hit the beans late season pretty good too. Oh, for yeah, I thought you meant all year. Um, no, for uh, late season, usually, um, yeah, there's corn or brassicas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A little food plot. Yep. Yeah, that's good. So do you do some food plot work then? I like food plots, yeah. We do some food plots. That's awesome. And and mostly you're focusing on those those later season food plots like like the brassicas? Um I like to do something for all year. Okay. Uh, even um so I like clove I like clover and alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Um, because they'll stay green and they like um from before hunting season to basically basically until there's snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually put radishes in with my brassicas. Okay. You're like radishes a little bit earlier. And then once the, uh, like a, you get a good hard freeze, starts putting the sugars in those bulbs. Mm-hmm. And then they go after the 
the bulbs. One thing I found this year though is um, standing corn was would trump the uh, brassicas. Oh, really? Yeah, and it might have just been the area down this year. Um, we didn't really actually ever get a really hard freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, same here. Yeah, because of that, it was it was weird. It was Christmas, and there was green grass kind of growing. Yep. Um, and it didn't seem like the the turnips and the were attracting them like they used to. Um, so I do like to have a little bit of variety so they can um, pick what they need. One thing I did this year, my husband and I, we put um, rye and wheat side by side. Okay. And from what we observed this year, the deer liked the winter wheat a lot more than the rye, which surprised huh. me. And it could have been a year thing. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to definitely do that another year and see how it goes. But they would, and, and maybe the rye is more attractive here in, you know, in the spring. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. but they were they would definitely walk through the rye to get to the wheat yeah that is an interesting observation so so uh are i mean like knowing this stuff was this well here first question was a standing corn was that part of a food plot or was that just stuff that the combine couldn't get to in time it was an intentional food plot and have you heard of uh 3d fence are you familiar yeah, with that or yep 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 um, on my husband, I, we only have about 20 acres where we live. Mm -hmm. So we planted an acre of corn, put up a 3d fence and I maintained it like weed, weed, weed eating, um, spraying it to keep the fence in good condition. Sure. Um, took the fence down. Well, it's interesting. I put up a camera and when, once the crops came out and it was the only patch of corn, the deer wanted at it and you could see them getting, they would get shocked and they would just power through it and walk through my fence. <laughs> really? Yeah. They you wanted it, it that bad. You, you could see them getting zapped and they'd kind of jump and just take a couple <laughs> steps and power through it. <laughs> That's hilarious. It they was. Were, yeah. They were just, they were just wanted that bad. Wow. And Yeah. So at a certain point I just took it down because they were going, they were getting in there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it kept it kept 90 percent of, of the deer out for a good portion and then probably closer to 50 percent once all the crops came out and then i dropped it down and, and let them get in there wow so so do you guys are you gonna let that corn stand all through the up until spring or did you guys knock it down now we knocked part of it down and part of it's still standing Okay. That, yeah. I'd be curious to, I might check back in with you on that because again, my friend Caleb and I, we were, we were talking about this recently. Uh, there's actually a, uh, a public hunting area, not too far from where I live. And, um, they have at least three standing corn food plots on this public wow. land. It's really nice. The, um, that, that uh it's actually county ground and uh the county you know maintains that for hunters which i think is just really a, a, a i mean turning a piece of public ground into something that's very very suitable 
you know, like, like a really good option for people who don't have private land access. And, um, I was just talking to him. I was like, man, I need to get in there and look for sheds in that standing corn. he's like, I wonder if he's like, I wonder if it would be better if they knocked it down, if the deer would hit it harder. Have you guys seen like any, any difference in how they prefer it? Do they like it knocked down like that? They like it knocked down. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Big difference. (laughs) You going to go looking for sheds in there? I, I did. I haven't found any, but I need to, I saw there are quite a few in the, in there yesterday and today. So. And they're still showing, they're still showing preference to that over like the turnips and stuff. Um, I would say, yeah, they are, but, um, they, they hit it pretty good there for when it's knocked down there. I think every deer in the county's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's fun to talk about this stuff because I don't know. I've, I've we've talked food plots on this podcast. Believe it or not, this is going to be like episode around two fifteen or something like that. And and uh, we've talked a little bit about food plots, but never this in depth. And at work, we sell native food plots, so we use uh, like a lot of different forb species that you know are found you know in native prairie that you know a lot of a lot of forb species are in the legume family so you know same family as soybeans and uh deer really like them and so we i you know i'm pretty familiar with that side of it but this other side where we're using these you know like true crop species for food plots i just don't have as much experience with other than like corn i guess and soybeans but but um it's really interesting to get your experience and and perspective on that. So if you were like if you were to build a like set something up for maybe late season hunting but also uh uh like a good shed season what kind of elements would you be putting on a uh we'll we'll give you we'll give you like 100 acres just name like maybe the type of cover how many acres food how many acres and maybe transition areas or or ponds or whatever what what would you how would you want to design that for a good late season farm a good late season farm i like to have um some sort of thermal cover and Mm -hmm. uh something like well you said Husky seeds, they, they're known for, um, their prairie grasses yep. and their, um, I like switch grass myself. I, I'd like to know your opinion, but, um, I feel like deer really like to have structure and, mm-hmm. and, and when you have some thermal cover next to food plot, um, I feel like it's a pretty good, good deal for late season. Sure. So maybe like, like. I would say you'd probably would want, you know, for the late season, it just seems like bedding is usually the limiting factor on, it is, on, on a farm, you know, because a good friend of mine, Doug Duran likes to, he likes to joke about food plots being like bringing sand to the beach uh, here, <laughs> yep. in, here in Iowa. And that's so true in, in a lot of ways. You know, if you're going to put, if you're going to put up a, a corn plot, um, it better be better than the 
unlimited number of acres of corn around you to bring those deer over to your corn plot, which I mean, by leaving it standing, that's going to be one, that's going to be a big advantage right there. But I think I would say you probably want bedding. Like if I had that 100 acres, I think I'd want at least half of it to be like good thermal bedding. Like you're talking about, would you agree with that? Oh, I would, especially if there's no, um, if there's not a lot of trees or a lot of thermal cover, a lot of habitat, mm-hmm. um, in, in a short three years, you can create prime habitat with that, the acres mm-hmm. in native warm season grasses or switch grasses or something. Yep. Um, so then you have your bedding so you can hold them and now you can move on to your food plots to attract them where you want them mm-hmm. from that point. And I would do, I like bulbs, you know, generally, um, turnips and radishes um sugar beets Mm. they're all pretty nice to attract them but when you get a lot of snow which we did have a lot of snow for a period um i like to have something that stands up Mm -hmm. so they have food and whether that's um sorghum or standing corn i think that's well worth it um but something to where they can get that above the above the snow and everything um if you do sorghum don't do a little itty bitty patch because they'll one i don't know it's like a couple weeks before bow season they'll just mow it off okay that's good to know i I always wondered how much the deer liked sorghum but it sounds like quite a bit it's not their first choice but i don't know um a small food plot they mow it off just a couple weeks before the bow season opens and then it doesn't do you as much good as what you wanted. Sure. So if you do a, a bigger patch, then you would have some some heads sticking up for the, the winter and stuff. And yeah. yeah. Turkey seemed like that too. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good to that's good to know there too. Some little dual dual purpose there. Yeah, so I I love the idea of having the the big thermal area maybe do a bunch of cedars like you were talking about earlier then feather that in with a big native grass planting well just with lots of forbs in it because then you get food value there too and then Uh maybe like your little almost kill plots your brassicas some standing corn some some standing soybeans or sorghum possibly even but knowing that the sorghum may not last until the late season but might get some good dove hunting out of it or something be, before then. But, yeah, I like I like having it around. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, man, this is this has been like just a really good conversation on obviously hearing your own personal history with with um you know, hunting in the outdoors, but also you and your husband's experience with food plotting and and structuring a farm to be a really good productive uh, uh, place to hunt whitetails. Um, as we wrap this one up, what would be your your pitch to the listeners on the Iowa Sportsman's Magazine that uh, you'd like to you'd like to share with them? Um, it's just a you know it's a magazine for Iowans by Iowans. We have a lot of really knowledgeable people that are knowledgeable about very specific um, things. And honestly, what it is, it's like Kent sharing his his shed tips that he's found out um, 
And when you love to do it, you're, you're going to talk passionately about it and you're going to do all the research for people. Yeah. Um, it can, honestly, it makes you a better hunter. Um, cause I don't have to do the trial and error to find out where the sheds are dropping. I can just, um, kind of see what Kent has to say and, and pick up some of your tips too. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, the McKinney's are great. They're plugged into hunting. Um, they've been doing it for a long time. Patrick, like you said, he gave me my, my start, um, as a writer and everything. And I have a lot of respect for Patrick. Yeah. But, yep. Um, yeah. It's a great magazine really is. Um, thank you. Yeah. And, and you guys work really hard on it to, to do, make it a good product. You guys are going to be at the deer classic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you guys usually are too with Hosky yep. C, right? Yep, yep, we'll be there. So uh, I'm sure we'll bump into each other at some point. And, and I think you guys are also, we're, we're not going to be up at Pheasant Fest this year. This is the same week. In fact, you guys were the ones that told us that at Hoxie about that. You were, you guys uh, said, hey, uh, we're going to, we're trying to figure out how to split time because Pheasant Fest and the Deer Classic are on the same weekend. Are you guys, are you guys going to be able to do it? Do both? Or are you going to just do uh, the Deer Classic? Um, yeah, we're going to actually split. So we actually have a team. Um, I think Aaron's not sure if he's going to go to Pheasant Fest or the Deer Classic. Um, we have a couple ladies that handle a lot of the sales and advertising. Mm -hmm. um, Joyce and Kendra. Um, they're going to, I think they're going to work the Deer Classic. Okay. And then Brandon, he designs the ad and um i have to give brandon a lot of credit because he always makes the magazine look professional and really good yeah. i love love how he designs it yep i think i met him a couple years ago at the deer classic really nice guy really nice guy yes yep yeah so pick yourself up a subscription you can just go to i think it's just iowasportsman.com right yep is, and we'll probably have a probably have a show special at the deer classic too yeah, so get signed up if you aren't. Just, again, great magazine, truly written by Iowans for Iowans. And and I know we've said that several times in this episode, but I think it's important to understand that, and that's where you can see the, the best value in the, in the publication. But, well, thank you so much, Taylor, for jumping on with this jumping on this one with me and i'm excited for the iowa sportsman podcast to get rolling again here soon um when it's out it'll be on every every major app right for for podcasts i assume yeah. yep so I'll, I'll definitely be subscribing uh listeners to this podcast i would recommend you do the same and uh please remember this podcast is presented by spartan forge spartan forge is something I was just using today. I was uh, doing some shed hunting with Caleb and a new thing I'm trying to do a lot more. I've done it in the past, but I'm just trying to be more disciplined with it this year is to use the record my track feature where I'm just mapping everywhere that I've looked for sheds so far this year. Again, there could be sheds where I've looked already, but um, at least I know what ground that I've already covered once. And uh, if there's some spots that I haven't hit yet, and if I find one side of a of a buck in one spot, but I can't seem to find the other side, well, then I can look at my record my track and be like, oh, well, you've never hit these little pockets over here. Maybe you should go check there. And uh, it can just help you 
know what you've already done and learn the farm a little bit better. But there's all the other features as well. The blue force tracker. If you're hunting a property with a buddy, uh, share that blue force tracker feature with them and all of your waypoints that both of you put on the map are going to show up for both of you when you open the map. Really uh, a cool feature there. And then um, the deer behavior prediction as well going into deer season this fall. Uh, can just really help you prioritize the right days to be in the tree stand. Uh, that's a, that's an important part of it, especially if you have a family and you like to uh, bow hunt. <laughs> Those things uh, t- compete for your time. Uh, and then also, uh, if you have plans to hunt here in Iowa and you aren't from Iowa or you'd like to go west and hunt elk or moose or mule deer or bears, whatever, Uh, You're going to want to know how to best apply for tags and bonus points and limited, all the limited draw statistics that help you determine how you need to prioritize different hunts. You can do all that legwork on your own, or you can get the best help that there is out there with Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts. Alex has been doing hunt plans and, and tag applications for folks for a long time and he's very respected um does does uh, a lot of work for a lot of really interesting people in the hunting industry and uh, he can give you that same service if you reach out to him you can go to eastwesthunts.com request a free consultation tell alex what it is you want to do and uh, he'll help you put together a plan and not just with getting your tags and and telling you you know some good ideas of where you should hunt um, he can set you up with gear. He can uh, tell you what gear to buy or rent you gear, or he can um, tell you how to do workouts to get ready for like really demanding terrain and stuff like that. Alex is the guy that you need to talk to. Again, go to eastwesthunts.com, request that free consultation, tell him that the First Gen Hunter podcast sent you there, and you'll save 10% off your final bill with Alex. And then uh, after you uh, go somewhere, really cool and shoot something really cool you're going to want to have it memorialized the right way here in iowa we have the best taxidermy that there is and it's found at old barn taxidermy old barn has been uh in has been doing taxidermy work well sam the the founder of it for like over 40 years and uh they do over 500 whitetail shoulder mounts every year and uh then of course all the other stuff too elk mule deer bears uh, turkeys, pheasants, waterfowl, fish, all of it is done uh, at Old Barn Taxidermy, and uh, they do the absolute best quality work. And so that's what you want when you go to get them out. You want it to be something you're going to be proud of, proud to look at, proud to hang on your wall for the rest of your life, and Old Barn will make that happen for you. If you go, um, be sure to tell them that this podcast sent you and that'll help me out and help them out as well. You can find a link for them in the show notes, get in contact with them, get your mount done the right way. Go to old barn taxidermy. And finally, my medic is the best, the leader, the, the best provider, manufacturer, assembler of first aid kits that are, that are suitable for taking into the back country. Okay. They're, they're just built for outdoors people. Um, sure, you can go to the Walmart or Walgreens or wherever else and just get a generic med kit off the shelf, but I guarantee you it won't be packaged in a way that is useful to you in the backcountry. It may not even have all the little things that you would want in the backcountry, but 
the folks at my medic like to hunt they're outdoors people they know what's necessary and they know how to put together a med kit that can save your life when you are far from help and uh, i i bring a my medic kit with me on all my big hunts and i even take a smaller uh like the necessities with me even when i hunt here in iowa you never know when you're going to need like gauze or tourniquet or some other major wound care stuff um that that uh is all going to be provided through my medic so you can go to the link in the show notes when you go to check out with your the kit that you want or need um use the promo code firstgen15 and you will save 15 percent off of that off of that purchase again you can find the link in the show notes to get there and use that promo code save yourself some money well thanks again jessica for joining me on this one thank you to listeners for tuning in Uh, until next time take care and take someone hunting